Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome, I'm Sam Delaney and this is The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the usual bollocks. My guest this week is the award-winning broadcaster Christian O'Connell. I've been a big fan of Christian's work since his time on The Breakfast Show on XFM in the noughties. For me, he was the funniest and most creative breakfast DJ in the country for many years. I, like most people, was shocked in 2018 when he quit his job on London's number one breakfast show at Absolute Radio, up sticks and to his whole family to start a new life and a new show in Australia. Recently, he released a memoir about all this called No One Listens to Your Dad's Show. I bought it because I thought anything Christian wrote would be funny, and it was funny, but it was so much more than that. It's a brilliantly honest, sometimes painful, always human account of the mental health struggles that drove him to rethink his life in his 40s. It's a book about work, ambition, family, fatherhood, change, resilience, rejection, courage, but above all, love. And I was blown away by it. So I got in touch with Christian and I asked him on the podcast. He said yes, and you're about to hear our chat. It's longer than usual because, well, that's what happens when you put two motor mouths together on the same podcast. But I hope you enjoy listening to us. Christian O'Connell, welcome to The Reset. Uh, Sam, thank you very much for having me on. And it's lovely to chat to you. I've obviously seen you in a couple of years, but thanks for getting me on, mate. I'm looking forward to this. So so let's get straight into it. I mean, what made you first decide to write a book like this? Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a, a different kind of thing for me, um, really different. And for the last six months before it came out, Sam, I was dreading what I'd written, actually. I was really getting stressed about it um, because I was really worried that I'd overshared. And my wife said, I think you regret putting the stuff in, finally talking about having uh, panic attacks seven years ago. I was like, if I don't put those in, I'm not interested in writing the book because if if I really want to tell the story of why I moved to Australia, then it starts with that seven years ago because that kick-started everything. And so the thing was, like, oh, God, what are people going to think? It's quite confessional for me. 
It's quite raw. And even though I talk for a living, tell stories for a living, I haven't told some of those ever. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really big league. But people have asked me a couple of times, I've come to office to write, you know, a memoir. And I always say, I don't, oh, most of them, if we're honest, they're crap, right? <laughs> some of them are very good. Mm. Like Andre Agassi's Open, it's one of the best books I've ever, ever read because it's really honest and it surprises you, it shocks you. Um, and I thought, well, what, I'll, I'll write it if I've got something to say. And then moving here, and so much happened. I thought, God, yeah, now I've got, I've got a story to tell about moving to Australia and why. And I think, well, I'm 48. I had something that I wanted to actually share and put in the book. And it felt really important to me. But I guess it was like a year and a half ago. My daughter's there, 16 and 14 now, started to have tough times, you know, teenage stuff. And I remember saying to one of them how important it was uh, to talk about it. They've got nothing to be ashamed of. It's normal to struggle. It's not normal to keep quiet about it. You know, vulnerability is a secret weapon. You know, and one of them said to me, well, what do you know about it? Um, and I was like, oh, my God. And I kept quiet. And then I went back in an hour later and I went, actually, I do know a bit about it. I don't know what you're going through, but I, I told her about my panic attacks. And I never wanted to tell the kids because I wanted them to still see me as that um, superhuman dad that can still carry him up to stairs and, you know, sort of super dad. And actually, that wasn't the dad they needed then. And, not, and as a teenager, they don't want that dad anymore. They want a dad that knows what's, what it's like to struggle, but also knows what it's like to to go through it, to grow through it. They need that dad. They need a human dad, not some kind of false dad that it just isn't true. And so it was coming through that. And as I started to tell them about it, I thought, you know what? Now I've got a story to tell. I'll tell this story about the panic attacks and put that in. And the whole book isn't about that. As you know, it's about maybe 15% of it, but it's all everyone wants to talk about. And I've been really surprised by that. Um, and it's been really nice, actually. I've gone from seven years of sort of shameful silence about panic attacks to now talking to people about it just in the last two weeks. It's like come some kind of exposure therapy. Um, it's actually been really nice. It's been bizarrely quite releasing for me where so many people have emailed me gone, oh, I know what that's like. And then also I wanted to talk about what it's like I think I had something to say about what it's like to be a dad to teenagers and getting it wrong, trying to get it right, getting it wrong, mm. and just how it's a privileged position to be a dad to uh, teenage girls. And so I wanted to share some of that. It's such an interesting time as well when they go from being these little girls and then with no warning, they kind of like get irritated by you, you know, and they're not there anymore. And that's kind of, it's kind of sad, but also amazing. It's the way it should be. It was like that for us growing up. But I thought that's quite an interesting thing to talk about as well when they're entering teenhood, but they're the other side of the world with no mates. And here, it just felt like they entered teenhood on steroids because we'd moved to the other side of the world. It's from, every, your enjoyment of the rest of the book flows from the fact that you're so honest Right at the very oh, start, thanks, right? I hope that, so. That's what's powerful because a lot of people write books, people in your position um, who have a public profile and who are funny can write a book that's just a series of amusing anecdotes. And then yeah, I didn't want there's to do always... That. You there's know al nothing about them, do you? There's always the risk as well. I think it's in the Alan Partridge book, which I always think enca <laughs> enca encapsulates the, the, the biggest pitfall yeah. of these two memoirs totally. is the one line they use, which is at the end of every anecdote, he says, needless to say, I had the last laugh. All right. And <laughs> so many celeb memoirs are basically, I'm going to tell you loads that. of things that happened yeah. where I end up, where the other yeah. guy looks like a jerk and I yeah. end up looking like a legend, right? 
And yeah, you I just, hate, I hate that. I didn't want to do that. pollute those waters, right? Yeah. Because then it's just like a load of really unfunny after dinner sort of little vignettes and stories where you know nothing about the person, mm. right? Nothing. They've revealed nothing. No vulnerability, no struggle. And also, I've learned over the years, the best stories I ever tell, whether it's in stand-up or on the radio show, the ones where you're screwing up, you're failing, you're struggling, you're just trying to get through the day. I relate to those stories when I see them in stand-ups and 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 and, and reading as well, and stories and watching movies, so much more because actually they're funnier and they're more relatable. And I think there's always this, this there's a gap between who you're trying to sort of present a version of yourself to the world and who you really are. That gap between those two, I think is really funny. I think it's just, um, <laughs> yeah. I've always thought that the everyday stuff we do, right? There's so much in that. I always thought that there's really extraordinary. The gold for me is in the day-to-day. Like just before chatting to you, I had to drive um, a present to uh, a house where my uh, six-year-old daughter was with a couple of her mates. And she texted me saying, don't knock on the door, just leave the present and go. (laughs) (laughs) Got a deep shame. Can't I just knock on the door and say hello to the mum and dad? They went, no, it'll be embarrassing. Why am I embarrassing? I'm just Mm. saying hello to her politeness. So I'm such an idiot. I actually did it. And it was a text saying the flowers outside, you know, like, you know, like some sort of code with spice. So I always find the everyday, just what we do. And, and, the, and uh, there's real wonder in that, the struggle of it all. Cause it is it, the one of the things I realized as you got into a sort of being a grown up is there's so much bloody mundanity. It's just like a relentless to do list, isn't it? Right. And I'm really lucky. I live a privileged life. I get to do a job on the radio that I deeply enjoy. Right. However, you know, it was a constant letdown when I became an adult. I was like, my mum and dad didn't warn me. So it's just endless just doing stuff and it tasks. Yeah, yeah it because is. when you're a kid, you think it's great when you're yeah. an adult because you have money and a car. Yes. <laughs> and yes. You don't see anything beyond that. No, I thought it was like, it was two things for me I looked forward to being an adult. One, you can eat what you want because mum and dad were in charge of the snacks and stuff like that. I was like, I can't wait to be in charge of my own snacks. I thought that was that was going to be living like a king. And the other one was like, going to bed when you want to. Like, I'm going to do that. I can't wait to just, maybe one day I'll just start till midnight on a Wednesday night, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get there, you're like, oh God, they didn't tell me about all this other stuff. And they didn't tell you about setting up direct debits and getting yes. you and your insurance, did they? Yes, yes. <laughs> Paying the utility bills, getting another quote each yeah. year, just all that stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah. So I find all my life, if I could sum it up, right, there were like two parts to my life. There's my life, and then I enter my 40s, and that is when shit gets real. Mm. Everything just starts to undo physically just around you. It, it just changes everything. When I see 20, 30-year-olds now, right, I just want to go up to them and went, it's coming. Yeah, it is coming. Shit, there's a winter coming, not for a while, but it will come to you. It comes to all of us. And I, th- I found it. It's a, it's a time when all your certainties that you built up in your 20s and 30s just don't, they just become a bit looser and you feel like you're hanging on to it a bit more. And you're like, oh, what's happening? And you do wake up, right? Still going, what? Hang on a minute, I die? You know, because <laughs> yeah. you'll be thinking about that in your 20s and 30s. In your 40s, you're in the second half of life. And so that's when you start to realise, okay, well, what, what, what is it now I want to do for me? You know, especially with the kids, I've got another like five years before they leave home. And so it's like, well, then what am I going to do? You know, what do you want? And it became like the book really was about our heart and soul and what's in that, which I think 
I think that's a really interesting sort of thing to to write about in life because we're sort of trying to get status and meaning from a career. And I did, you know, and I'm sure you did. And then there comes a time when it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. It's like you've been playing the game and you start by the rules, but it doesn't quite, there's something missing as well. And, you, and working out what that is, I find really, really interesting. I'm always really interested in ambition. Um, do you think that ambition is like a, can be like a, a dangerous thing? I think with anything that is a uh, like a strength in somebody, whether it's drive, ambition, whatever our strengths are, focus or whatever, there's always uh, when it doesn't work for you, it works against you. It's like any strength can be a weakness and weaknesses can be strengths. It's like a universal law. I really believe that. So it wasn't so much about ambition for me, right? The My success has been accidental. And I don't mean that in a false, modest way. I mean, mm. I tried to do radio that was different and true to me and do it my way. I couldn't do a show, um, a designer show that I thought was a number one show. I tell you one thing, it'd be really boring and bland. I can only do my show. When it's done well, um, that's more like the, uh, the ratings will do what they do. The only thing I've got control of is doing a show that I believe is my best way to do it and unique mm. to me and what I think is different. Um, and so that the, 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 the rating side of it. So the ambition for me, I guess, why I moved to Australia was once the panic attacks happened and I went and got help, which was hard, and I felt ashamed, actually. And I remember just walking to go and see a therapist, mm. thinking in my head, this is for fuck-ups. Are you? Is that who you are now? This wasn't what I wanted from my life. And I felt embarrassed and ashamed, and I was angry. And I remember sitting opposite this guy who, I call him in the book, the man in the shed. He really did work out of a shed at a Potmas Garden. I mean, I presume he was the therapist. I never saw any certificates. <laughs> it might have been a con man, but he kind of out. But and I remember sitting opposite him for the first time and I said, I don't want to be here. And he sort of smiled. And I bet it was like, here we go. Another guy <laughs> who opens yeah. with this line. Let's see how you get on the next couple of weeks, okay? Let's just see how long you can hold on to that. And, uh, and then once I got out, I actually started to wake up a bit to something going on in my life for a while. And I think I've been trying to numb down this feeling that I actually wanted more. I wanted to change. And I've been using alcohol and I think overachievement, trying to win more awards and doing stand-up shows, going to the Edinburgh Festival and writing children's books. You know, these are in my heart. I wanted them, but I just kept trying to fill that void with more work, more building stuff, building stuff. Mm. And then it wasn't it wasn't really doing well what I was uh, what was underneath that and then I remember chatting to my wife and both of us felt like we'd made our lives too small everything that had got us there wasn't was 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 wasn't working anymore it was almost suffocating us and so we started talking about Australia we've always loved Australia and so it became one of those late night conversations of the club covered glasses of wine you know when you wake up in the morning and go the hell are we thinking of you guys in your mid-40s just moved to Australia it's not like a gap year you know yeah, I didn't yeah. even want to hear an English guy on the radio no but we did lend up, you know, I did get a lend up, sort of getting an offer, uh, a job here, and they hated me for the first year and a bit. They did not want to hear an English girl on breakfast radio. And, you know, the first, I say in the book, the first text message to the show, 17 minutes in, just said, fuck off home. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God, maybe this is, what have I done? Why, why, why have I do this? Why couldn't I just get my shit together? I kept thinking, there's a lot to be said for a comfort zone, isn't there? Who leaves a comfort zone? An idiot. Mm. Um, but struggling and then having to really, in radio, for the first time, actually, in a very long time, really hustle, really rethink everything I thought I knew, learn some new stuff, build stuff from the scratch, from the ground. I've never done that in decades on radio. Mm. I had an audience and I went, for, you know, took that with me. 
I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The ratings were terrible for a year and then it got to number one and I loved the struggle. It was so exciting. It was, it was like the most alive because I was the most scared I'd, I'd felt in a really, really long time. Um, and it, it changed me as a person. And there were a lot of other stuff that were hard going on at home. Obviously, my daughter struggled to fit into schools. We changed schools three times in the first year, which was a terrible mistake. Awful for them. Um, but now, you know, I've been here three years. One of the best things, most more things you need to try and install in your kids is, uh, is resilience and grit. And they don't know it yet, but I really hope in five, ten years' time, they'll look back at what was a really tough year for them, the first sort of year and a half, two years. And realize that changed me. I really learned what it's like to be really in a in a tough spot. But I actually, I got myself through it. Mum and dad couldn't come to a new school and make friends for me anymore. I, I got through that. And I think what an amazing lesson for them to learn as well, whether they stay here, you know, when they leave school and stuff, that will go to university back in England. I don't know. But yeah, it's been an amazing, I hate using that word journey because it feels like I've come out of the big brother house and I'm a moron. But, it, you know, our life should be a, a journey, a series of little journeys if you're really doing it properly. And, my one is, it isn't about moving to the other side of the world. I think it's just about moving towards your heart and soul and just working out how do you put that into your work, whatever it is you do, whatever it is you do. You talk a lot about the word courage and the notion of courage in a book, and you've got a really yeah. good sort of um, perspective on, on the real meaning of that. Talk to me a bit mm. about what you see as courage. Yeah, the original, you know, there was a, there's a, a brilliant uh, Irish writer called David White. And I was reading a couple of years ago when I first moved here. You know, you know, sometimes you'll read a line and it just finds you at the right time. Like if you read it a year before that, you wouldn't be open to it. And I love that. You're hearing a song. Oh, I didn't know they said that line. And it's just how you are right then. And in his book, he was talking about the original definition of the word courage means full hearted. How big is your heart? And that's what courage is. It's like, how big hearted are you going to be even when stuff gets really hard? Um, do you close off? And we all do that, don't we? In anger and an argument with the other half. Sometimes you think you close off a bit, don't you? You harden up your heart. And courage is actually keeping it open, keeping it open to all of it, the heartbreak, the struggle. And so that's really what the last couple of years was about for me and struggling with that sometimes. Um, it was about, that's what courage is about. And I guess it's also... The book is really the conversation I've been having in my head for the last sort of three years since I got here, Sam, trying to make sense of it all. And I guess trying to write down what I keep trying to say to my kids. But, you know, it's like when you try and give them any wisdom, right, they just think, as you just read some sort of bollocks off Facebook, you know, that Monday, Monday motivation, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's always yeah. in front of a sunset or a sunrise, yeah. isn't it? And there's someone on some rocks with their arms up. It's just like one or two lines like that. Yeah, yeah. But I am sort of putting down in paper, you know, I wanted to, I think now, what an amazing thing I've written down, what happened, you know, and I'm I actually, out of everything I've done, the 23 years of breakfast raid and all that, it's the thing I'm most kind of, in a small kind of way for me, and I struggle with this word, it always feels quite arrogant, doesn't it? Um, but I am, I'm actually proud of it. I put down what was really in my heart, and I guess that's that was courage, was sometimes to me the big, uh, what was the biggest risk in your life? Was it, you know, throwing away the radio show in your life there and moving to Australia? I, th I thought that was, but bigger than that has been writing this book and actually saying I've, I've really struggled and here's a, here's a part of me you don't even know. And I was really worried about sharing that. Like people might go, oh my God, why, why couldn't he just tell those funny stories that ended with, <laughs> needless to say, <laughs> I had the last laugh. <laughs> to a lot of guys, that's what's important because a lot of people, I think, like the reason a lot of men struggle 
is that they think the moment you start being very, very honest about your own vulnerabilities, your feelings, is the moment you kind of trade in your fun card or your lad card, you know? Yeah, but it's, so it's what what I think you've demonstrated in this book and on your show, which is clearly, I've listened to to, to your Melbourne show, and, and it's like clearly you still got all that fun that there has been on all of your shows, but it's, it must have been such a breakthrough for you to think, oh, that that can coincide with this with these, even yeah. though it's a breakfast show, which people would not usually do those kind of deep emotions and no. those quite raw human stories that you now cover. And what yeah. I think is amazing is that you can normalize those two sides of your personality and just of like blokes or human beings coexisting together. You don't have to become some weirdo who shares those memes of, of Buddha. <laughs> And a sunset talking bollocks. You can still be a bit of love. You're not going to become because people worry, don't they? It makes the thing. Oh, he's gone a bit. He's gone a bit weird now. I was worried. What my mate's going to think of this book? They're going. Why is he doing this? He's broken the guy code. There's no vibe out anymore. He's not (laughs) going to. He's not going to make us talk about our feelings, is he? Oh God! And you know, men are the thing is with men, right? Is at some age you're taught actually that vulnerability is dangerous so maybe as a teenager actually you need to be careful with who you trusted because it could be used against you people could humiliate you and that's really damaging as a teenager but then as an adult that stuff really doesn't work it, it doesn't it's not doing you any favors more it's keeping you distance from your kids after a while and actually showing them what a, what a man actually is you know all uh, elements of what a man is not the rainbow all the colors not just a couple that, the, that you think the only bits you, you're comfortable sharing they need to see you crying they need to see you upset they need to see you feeling they need to see you struggling all of that because they would experience that and if you haven't showed them as a man what it is and modeled it for them this is what it's like to be a real man right now who's struggling or you know it's really sad right now or, you know i think that's really really important and you're right i feared with the book oh god i'm not going to become one of those one of those guys, you know, and I lose friends. And actually, you're right. What's been really nice is getting emails from people, men who, I think if I said, this book is about feelings, all guys would have gone, fuck that. No way. That ain't for me. No, I didn't. But there is, there is, spoiler alert, there's stuff about feelings in there. Yeah. And I've kind of not camouflaged it. But I've 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 just come through a different way, and actually, men want those conversations, and there's a way to do the light and shade, isn't there, Sam? And I think mm-hmm. that's what puts a lot of men off from actually opening up that they'd love to do. They just they just worry about have I got to go? Have I got to change massively? Yeah. And it's not. It's about actually opening your heart, and actually. You know, everything that you like joking about, that all flows from the heart when you're in that place and you're mucking around with your friends and you're being present with your kids. Mm. It's all part of it. You've got those feelings in there. It's just sort of increasing the bandwidth a bit. That's all. It's not changing your DNA or means you can't have a laugh with your mates. You can still do all of that. But what? how about, it's just nice to have a bit more of a breadth of things to talk about. And like, I don't know, but I love it sometimes when one of my mates just says, God, I'm actually really having a tough time at the moment. I'm like, great. Let's have a chat about that. Mm. And then once you talk about it, quite quickly, once we talk about our emotions, you feel lighter already. It's a simple act of talking about it. And then 10, 20 minutes later, you can then move on and you can talk about who'd win in a fight, John Wick or Jason Bourne. Yeah. You know, and I like I like all of that. But it's just it's just talking from the other stuff as well, which we don't do a lot of the time, guys don't. <laughs> 
you know yeah well that that i think is such a huge achievement of what you've done here is just showing that the two things coexist was i gave up drinking like six years ago and you go through the Did same you? Th- yeah, you, you go through the same feelings, very similar mm. feelings then. In the and truth. how did you find that, Sam, going from... Because it's, it's an identity as well, isn't it? Mm. And if you've been, like you and I, raised as a teenager drinker, mm. you know, and that's how it was, and he eyes a laugh, he loves a mm. drink, mm. and it's an identity builder. And actually when you... That's really hard. It's like the death of it. You know, how what, how did you go then from that into still? And you are still you. you don't really change anything. Yeah. It's just a story yeah. we've told ourselves, isn't it? Alcohol relaxes me. Yeah. Alcohol makes me funnier. And that's just bollocks. Otherwise, every stand-up comedian would shit-faced on stage. If that, yeah. if that was, you know, not the secret drug that yeah. made you the funniest person in the room, Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock would be hammered on stage. But they're not <laughs> the drinking water up there. <laughs> they're in control. See, so, yeah, how did you do well, that? Well, Dean Martin. And used to have apple juice and pretend it was whiskey because he yeah. thought, well, I have to stay sharp. It's a persona. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, for the first couple of years, I, re- I read a quote from Tony Adams in one of his yes. books about recovery. And he said something like, yeah, first five years, you just still don't know what the fuck's going on. And I remember reading that when I was about two years into sobriety and I thought I'd cracked it. Right. Yeah. And I thought, fucking no, he's saying that you don't even begin to recover until you're five years in. But what I realized yeah. he meant was, was that, I stopped drinking and I threw myself even harder into other elements of life, like work and exercise, because I I thought I was Bradley Cooper in Limitless, you know, when he takes a magic pill. (laughs) Honestly, I was obsessed with this energy of no hangovers. I was like, fucking hell, it's a superpower, I'm superhuman. But in fact, just as booze was a distraction from the way you totally. felt, right? Yeah. You just replaced that with work, totally. exercise, and other mad shit. And it yeah. was only about two years ago when I slowed down on a lot of that stuff and changed the fundamentals of my life and stepped back in it on certain things that I was like, oh, right, now I can actually examine all the shit and unpack all the shit that made me someone who got too dependent on drink, yeah. right? And, amazing. and just sort of slowing down. And, you, got your, and you, know, you got yourself back. I got myself back and nothing changed in my personality. In fact, no. what I always say to people is most of the good things about your personality just become heightened once you're sober because you have more energy yeah. And, yeah. And, and slowly you become more confident as well. But, you know, for me, it was like a gift, like just as in some ways in the book, I read it as your panic attacks you described right at the start of the book were so extreme that yeah, was it. That in some ways was a gift to you because it totally it forced you to confront stuff that a lot of men would just yeah. coast through. Because you see blokes who are like twenty years older than us, guys in their 60s, 70s who just never addressed this stuff. Especially no. men of our father's generation who were very yeah. kind of tightly wound and didn't didn't have any truck with any of this stuff in their generation. And, isn't it, and there's that word that we use that word, don't they? Tightly wound, and again, mm. it's close heart, isn't it? They're tightly wound around their heart like they're so worried what might come out or if they let that mask slip a bit that the world wouldn't see or people wouldn't like to see who's under there and i always think that's so so sad isn't it what what pain what Mm. struggle Mm. it's like whenever i've had friends who've given up alcohol and addiction you know various things whether it's cocaine or heroin that and actually one thing when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I've got to know, and through talking to them through all of it, is actually just how much pain they're in. Like yeah. one of my friends, you know, who's who's like you, he's he's eight years sober now. Mm. And the more he talked, I never knew we used to go out drinking. And I always used to say the next day, God, you, God, you really push it. You know, you really, you're a guy, can barely keep up with you sometimes. And then he, he said, yeah, guys, I was just in so much pain. And it was like, all oh, right, that's what it is. And it was something, it reframes, you know, what why people do that, you know. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah. um, I think it's amazing what you've done. I find that since writing the book as well, a couple of guys emailed me going, um, my wife started to read it because I said, you should read this. It is This is what it's like to be a guy. Yeah. And I... I, the first time I read someone say that, this guy read the book and emailed me. I actually got really tearful, Sam. It was like, oh my, is it? I didn't, I didn't know that. I was just talking about my experience, and I was so worried it was such a personal story to me that people wouldn't be able to relate to it. And guys would go, "Oh God, suck it up, mate. You know, just stick to being funny. We don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, cry me a yeah. river. You got a great life, and I, am. Yeah. I felt like who am I to mind about it? But. The wonderful thing about it is when men say, yeah, me too. Hey, I know what that's mm. like, that that worry that I can't live up to who I built up to my wife and to my children. It's exhausting. You know, I, I can't do it. It's making me so unhappy. And that. And then women have read it and gone, I had no idea. I think my, my husband, I think, has had panic attacks or I think he's got anxiety or I started talking to my husband like maybe he should go and see someone. And three men have emailed me saying midway through the book, they put it down and looked up and the booked him to go and see a therapist. And they said, wow. they never thought, because I said in the book, I didn't think I was a therapy guy until I just needed help. I just mm. needed help. And it changed my life. It made me better, a better person. My life is the better for it now. I'd recommend it in a heartbeat to anyone. If you hurt your back in the gym, right? Or you want to become a better golfer, you think nothing about going to see a personal trainer, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just a personal trainer for your mind and your soul. Why the hell would we get, oh, you can't do that. It's a fuck ups. Well, yeah, we all, we all need help sometimes. Life's really hard and, Nothing in our sort of teenage years or 20s helped us get ready for this. Nothing did whatsoever. Yeah. We were taught at school and your mum and dad, you know, they do their best, but they struggled as well. And so with the generation's got a bit more awareness and I hope that we make it a bit better for our kids. I hope so. I think that's our responsibility. I want people, I would love it. I would have loved it if I had been seeing a therapist just as naturally as I went to the fucking dental hygienist yeah. when I, you know, and started it, oh. I don't know, in my teens or twenties. As too. it happened, I went to one because I was struggling with addiction and yeah. thought I've got to fucking see someone here or I could die. Right. And, yeah. and, and you had very extreme panic attacks. So we were just driven to it by a kind of, not a rock bottom by extreme circumstances, but I wish, and, and I'm just like you, I, I mean, ooh, Think of it this way. Anyone listening who's not who's wondering about it, it's like what's not to love about an hour of just talking about yourself? 
you know that's that's yeah, fucking you great. Can share anything, right? You can go. Oh God, you know, I had an awful argument with my wife. Mm. And so we go, all right, what happened? Because he, he's not going to tell anyone. You right. save that go, well, she's doing my head in at the moment. And you go, well, let's have a chat about that. And so we talk about it and then then you'd unpack it a bit and he and they, they give you perspective and you think it's all about the other person. They realize, all oh, right. Yeah, and they, they don't show you a couple of different angles and they go, oh, I haven't crikey, yeah, I do keep having that same argument. And it, you actually walk out knowing a little bit more about where you work and where you don't work. And what a gift is to make you a better person, have a better relationship with yourself, helps you then have a better relationship with everyone in your life. Mm. I think, why wouldn't you want people to know about that? And you don't need to go for years, but the saddest thing about if you're feeling any kind of struggle is thinking, oh God, I can't, I'm not one of them therapy guys. And it's just like, you, you, we've got to have a better understanding about it. You know, you don't have to go normalize therapy. Got yeah, that's exactly therapy. what I tried to do, mate. Mm. Like, yeah. yeah, do you know what? There is no big deal. And actually after a couple of weeks, I started to actually look forward to seeing him and having a chat with him. You know, we became really close friends actually. And I, the first time I actually, because a lot of people said, so did the therapist tell you that you need to go to Australia? I went, no fucking therapist is going to tell someone to go to the other side of the world. <laughs> no. yeah. I said, even when about six months after seeing him, and it was so bad when I first went to see him, right? I was there once a week. And I remember, I think when he realized the extent of what he's going to be dealing with me, he went, mm-hmm. I think you need to come twice a week. And I remember I just burst out laughing. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah. So am I really fucked up? He go, and he started laughing. He went, I think you need to come twice a week. So I then had to go twice a week. I was like, Jesus Christ. And then um, I remember on one of them about six months in, I went, do you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to move to Australia. And he spat his drink out. Yeah. He spat his drink out where it was such an overreaction to a guy who couldn't even do his radio show six months ago. Yeah. Now thinks the best thing is to put himself in a fire pit the other mm-hmm. side of the world and start again. He went, mm-hmm. "Is it, do you need to do that? He actually tried to talk me out of it. It's like, God, this is a classic kind of overcorrection. Yeah. It's all right, mate. You've got nothing to prove. You're back doing your radio show. I've, I've helped you. You don't need to prove anything else. I was like, and so, no, it, it, it was like, sometimes their job is to challenge you. And we're not very good at challenging ourselves, are we? We sort of look the other way to some of the bullshit we do. Like, you know, sometimes you'll say something when you're a bit angry to the other half. And then five minutes later, I don't like whatever part of me that said that that's horrible and you go around and go apologize don't you and it's yeah, like yeah. what they do is they help you understand where's that coming from them mm. you know what's going on in all there and you don't you wouldn't normally examine yourself like that why would you you need someone to help and i, I just remember when i first went to see him he started explaining how in roman times in greek times when it was like the birth of thought and philosophy and existentialism People, older people, village elders would sit in a square at a table with a chair opposite them. And young guys, teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, would sit opposite them. And the elder would go, you know, basically, what's up? And they'd just talk about it for like 5, 10, 20 minutes. And I thought, wow, we've lost that, haven't we? You know, the equivalent we have is 10 pints with your mates in the pub. And one of you might say, I'm having a really tough time, my daughter. Then... You talk about it a bit and go, I love you, man. So with all that love's in there. Then the next day you feel not just a hangover, it's like a vulnerability hangover as well. It's like, oh God. Oh, I hope he doesn't remember <laughs> any of that, any of that nice stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, how drunk oh. were we? Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we like, actually said what we felt. <laughs> we went full circle. We went through the nasty aggressive bit and started being nice <laughs> out the other side. Yeah, let's never do that again. That's, oh, so sorry for all these all these emotions, all this humanness. <laughs> well, it must have been the bear talking. 
I got to talk to you about your relationship, your daughters, and and you paint such a touching picture of that. And so much of this, as you've said, is driven by your relationship with them. You also, I'll just say as well, you paint a fantastic picture of your wife, and she's obviously been. I mean, it's such a massive advantage in all these decisions you've made and, you know, all that you've been through to have what is clearly a, an amazing woman beside you, backing you in oh, all she's, this. She not, she wasn't, she's not been beside me at times, Sam. She's been <laughs> ahead of me. There was a bit when I was offered the breakfast show here in Australia and I said to my wife, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it. it because it was all on me and making the radio yeah. show work. And if it didn't rate it here, you're fired within six months. They won't mm. They won't do what the UK does, where they let you finish a contract. You're, you're mm. fired within six months. Mm. I said, that could easily be me. And she said, if you get fired, they're idiots. Right. And she goes, I know that you'll make a great radio show there from day one. So she says, I'm okay with that. I don't mind if you get fired in six months. I'm okay. Yeah. She goes, I don't think you'd be okay saying no to it. And she mm. goes, actually, if you say no, it is like saying no to that. Actually, no more risk. That's it now. Yeah. <laughs> just, just nice and steady for me now until yeah. death. And she goes, that isn't you. That just isn't you. So she goes, if you're staying true now to who you are now, we're going to Australia. And that really helped. It took all that is amazing. And what an amazing woman to do that. It's just, it is amazing that she did it. And I just think, and even your daughter's saying that they are up for moving as well. I mean, you know, so you, they really, you, you, you really do them justice, all all three of them in the book. They're such a huge part of it. And um, yes, it's interesting because in my life, Sam, right. uh, it's a matriarchy and it's actually been really, 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 really great for me. Right. Mm. I've got three women and they're my two daughters. They're like trainee women. You know, they're like, they're, they're, they're trainee women. They're, they're smart. Just how they, how they burn through their emotions really quickly. Like I'll see them get angry. I'll see them cry. And then five minutes later, I'm still stressed out. I was going on five minutes. They're laughing because mm. they process it or they felt how they're feeling. And sometimes men get stuck in it, don't we? Oh, yeah. We get all quiet and a bit withdrawn and a bit moody and sort of. And it's like, what a horrible way to be around with with, with yourself. Was then they're, they're not that. If they're angry, no. like say with my wife, she's angry. She tell you, yeah. and then Tim is like, she's absolutely fine, you know. And I'm still having the argument. She's like, she's she's done. She's yeah. she's, she's she's processed they call it, it in recovery. They call that honouring the way you felt. Yeah, right? that's so, it. It's that so way. it's like yeah. if you feel pain or if someone said something to upset you, a bloke would be so preoccupied with not <laughs> demonstrating that he gives a shit that you never <laughs> honor, honor it. And if you don't honor it by, yeah. by just fucking acknowledging it to yourself or maybe saying it out loud, it's just stuck in you forever. It's stuck in you. Yeah. You know, and that's why these guys blow up with heart attacks yes. and get cancer. It is just because yeah. all it's all like tight in there in the hurt locker. All yeah. those emotions. Yeah. And then they all just come out. That's why guys break down, literally physically. I think it's because of all that that's held in there. And so I think actually that's one thing my daughters and my wife has taught me is since becoming a dad, you know, and I talk openly in the book about it, I've never cried more in my life. And mm-hmm. there's one moment in Paddington Bear too where <laughs> I, I was really actually sobbing like no one else in the cinema. So much so there's an old lady with her grandchildren next to me who got like a tissue out. You know, old dears have always got them in their handbag. She actually said, are you okay? And <laughs> my kids were pointing and laughing at me, right? Yeah. I was, and I was thinking, I was not crying, sobbing. And then afterwards, right, I said to my wife, you know, that, that, you know, it was really bad. I, I was, I was shaking, you know, like you might see an old Italian nana at a funeral. <laughs> and, I said, you know, I think I'm crying for all the times I couldn't. Yes. I was having and this kind of breakdown. The floodgates open. Yeah. 
at Paddington Bear 2. Yeah. And now the kids even joke, you've never been the same since Paddington Bear 2. Yeah. And I always think they don't know how true that is, actually. I think I, I, I think I allowed myself to feel some feelings that Norman Bush down in the Hurt Locker for and years. And it's bloody great. When it all comes out, you walk, you probably oh. walked out of the cinema feeling I feel like, like I lost 10 kilos. Exactly. My, uh, I've quoted your daughters to my own 13-year-old daughter, right? Because oh, they love is, this. In what it, way? It's uncanny. Yeah, like, so the way in which they treat you, which I would say is brutal, but with brutal. love, right? Is, yes. is, is exactly yes. how I am treated by my daughter. I said, I've, I've before floated the idea of us moving two postcodes away, right, uh, to get a slightly bigger house. And she has gone so mental at me. And I go, yeah. you know, in this book I'm reading, <laughs> I said, like, his daughter's agreed to go to Australia <laughs> and they really back him, right, and you won't move to Putney. <laughs> right. and uh and anyway I also because they're so harsh i'm like my fate probably my favorite bit with your daughters that i related to the most because it basically i think i was reading it when i was in the isle of wight on holiday and i'd actually been through almost the exact same situation you drive to the beach one day you can't park you have to park practically in a separate suburb because yeah, there's no parking spaces no. So you drop your wife and girls at the beach then yeah. You park miles away and then you yeah. trek all the way back to the beach carrying just a shit ton of beach equipment, right? This yeah. is stuff that I was actually going through. Yeah, bit, I'm talking about stuff. beach chairs, an umbrella, yeah. uh, an icebox with all the drink and food in. And I, I'm lugging it in the heat, right, by, by myself. So people are actually pointing at me and laughing at me. Yeah. It was like some sort of bizarre Japanese sort of game show, staggering the heat, right, an English guy, and I was like slathered in sort of suntan lotion as well. <laughs> it's so hot here. And... When I turned up, literally sweating, mm. my daughter, one of my kids just turned around and she went, oh, my God, look at you. You're such a basic white dad. Yeah. And I was so close to going, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're just that, smiling. Go, that moment, I think, sums up being a dad, <laughs> right? That, that, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I quoted yeah, this. I said, listen yeah. to this. I don't know why yeah. I quoted it to her. I just said, listen to this. Coco, listen to this, right? You know this book I'm reading, right? And she's so sort of sick of hearing about it at this stage, right? So I'm going, oh, Chris, you moved to Australia. Listen to this, right? She's gone, oh, I'm not this book again. I said, listen to this. He gets all the way to the beach. He's knackered. He's done it for them to make life easier yeah. for them. And they call yes. him a basic white dad. And you know what she said? She yeah. went, well, they were right. That is such a basic white dad look, right? And I'm like, ah! <laughs> because they, you're mocked. You feel like you're doing Mocked. everything to make their Mocked. life better. My the- dad would never yeah. have done any of that. My dad yeah. would have made me, my sister, carry probably the bulk of it, and he would have carried a bit of it. Whereas us modern dads, we're trying to sort of overcorrect, aren't we? I know, that's and it. They've got no respect. She looked, no. They looked at me like, you arsehole, you know, yeah. and then I had to sort of put the umbrella <laughs> up, get the, and, and then my wife goes, what took you so long? I went, there's about 30 kilos of shit here. <laughs> I just had to lug it. It's 42 <laughs> degrees. What took me for so long? <laughs> it's fucking, and there's nothing you can do. Because then no. occasionally I resolve to myself, well, they're going to fucking learn now because I'm going to stop yeah. doing stuff for them. And then <laughs> yeah, they'll say, and that lasts like one minute. Yeah. And she even yeah. says it to me. My daughter even says, I'll oh, give me a break as if, right? I give her a lift once a week to school on a Monday yeah. as a treat. 
I saw a friend walking along. I said, there's Steph. And she went, don't look at her. And I said, I'm going to say hello to her. I said, I'm going to say hello to her. Because I'm I'm pretty sure Steph likes me, right? She thinks I'm a bit of a laugh. I said, I'm going to say hello to her. She went, do not say hello to her. I said, but she likes me. It'll be, she went, she told me that if you even look at her, she will kill herself. Right. <laughs> like, everything's so did, extreme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, everything's massive. And I was like, all right. Then this morning, I said, I'll walk you to the bus stop if you want. She quite likes if I walk to the bus stop. But if I walk to the bus stop and wait to the bus with her, we have to stand each day. She's making me stand further and further away from the actual bus stop. I said, Coco, we look like, I said, why do we have to stand here? The bus stop's like 200 yards down there. She went, it's fine to stand here. I said, we just look like two people standing in the middle of a in the middle of a street. Yeah, it, it looks odd. This looks she said, odd, yeah. people know we're waiting for the bus. I said, no, they don't, because we're not standing at bus stop. She went, Dad, no one feels the need to stand at a bus stop when they're waiting for a bus anymore. It's not the 80s. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah, what is that? What exactly? What does that even mean? I remember when um, a couple of months ago, my daughter had been away on like a school camp for 10 days. And I said, well, look, I'll come and pick you up from school, you know. And I was in my mind, it was like going to be one of those emotional reunions. And then I get the text going, don't come up to the coach. Stay in a. This was all yeah. capitals. Stay in the car, right? It would be really embarrassing if you got out. And so you know, I had to stay in the car, fighting back tears. I didn't see my angel, and then I see other dads all running up, hugging them. Mm. I think this is, and then and then what happens is she gets in the car. She goes. Why didn't you come and meet me? I went, you, you said, I've got this. This is what she says. Yeah, I know. But obviously you saw the other dad's doing. I went, if I'd have got out, you would have had a go. It's like, you can't win. It's mm. like, but I remember, I remember when, um, when my dad would occasionally surprise me by picking up the school gates and I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Late round, yeah, yeah. never do this. And they were, they were like, yeah. oh, is that your dad? She was <laughs> Oh, is that your granddad? Like, yeah, what you've got a dad. Don't, don't you fucking talk about him like that. <laughs> don't tell my dad like that. It's like the worst day on yeah. there. Don't ever do that again, dad. Oh, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> God almighty. Teenagers, I fit- don't you find you're reliving your own teenage years as well? It's kind of like two things going on. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you feel so helpless when there's friendship oh, stuff God. or someone's being mean. That's you know, you touch mate. upon that really well, like, Watching them, and it must have been so tough moving to a, a you know, moving schools is hard enough, moving to the other side of the world. And you know, obviously, they had to go through that thing of making new friends and those stuff. Oh, it's really I mean, hard, mate, because they're English and they've got no friends, and mm. they're at that age getting into their teenagers where you can't organize play dates anymore. It's not like that, yes. They were excluded, and one that was bullied, and it was, mate, it was the, yeah. the worst, it was harder than the ratings tanking and the fear because you're helpless, hard. right. Helpless, and I, I, I blame myself actually. I had a, so much guilt over it. Like, mm. I've done the worst thing I could. I, 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 I put them in a situation that I, that I just couldn't keep my shit together. So I had mm. to come here. I didn't, I didn't, I shouldn't have brought them here. But my wife kept saying, "Look, we just got to give it time. It is hard now, but they're going to grow through this. And shit, they're going to learn so much that actually will change their lives. And I hope that's true. They love it here now. Many times I've said, "Hey, you know, do you want to go back, or you know, do you regret coming here? I'm really sorry." And they're like, "No, love it. Oh, yeah, mm. it was really hard, but no, love it. Oh God." Well, I read some one reviewer saying that your book was like a love letter to Melbourne, and it really is. I've never been to Australia, but you, you write so vividly and with such warmth about the city you live in honestly i'm like you read it and the melbourne tourist board 
should be paying you for this because it's like you you get such a picture of a beautiful place to live and with yeah, really amazing it's, it's, people as well. It's the people, mate. They yeah. change me actually. It isn't really just about the city; it's the people. And Australians are um, they're really positive and super friendly, and conversation mm. is really important to them. And actually, when they got over the fact I was uh, English, mm. they actually oh. He, they, they actually really liked me then because they oh he, he's, he's actually good at talking like here i'll be walking my dog i have to allow more time now to go and walk my dog every day because i have these really interesting conversations with utter strangers yeah it's great. it changes the person and it's changing my daughters when we go out for lunch or something you're not having a conversation with the person serving you rather than just just like seeing it as a transactional thing yeah i think there's something about there's something really quite life-changing about that and mm. That's what's changed me the most. You don't need to move the other side of the world to that. And again, it's that thing of being open-hearted. It's yeah. about just opening up to the world and being a bit more present to the people around you and these little connections. And I really missed it in shutdown, in lockdown. You know, we had four lockdowns, which is horrendous. And, you know, I think we've done 181 days in total okay. of lockdown. It's That was really hard. And the thing that actually, once you're removed from that sort of, you know, connection with strangers, with people, with friends, you really actually, you're kind of reminded how important it is, you know, and it's not, it's, it's a lesson as we come out of lockdown that I don't want to lose actually. Mm. It's maybe want to be closer to friends um, and connect even more. So yeah, as much as it's about, you know, much I love Australia and I do and I love Melbourne, but man, the people have changed me. And what a lovely thing to be able to say at, yeah. at, at, when you move somewhere else, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the beaches. It's not the heat. It, that, that, that isn't the thing. I thought that was what I was coming for, but actually it wasn't. And it's changed me as a person. It's changed me on the radio. And that I'll always be so grateful for. Even if I got five tomorrow, mm. I'll be like, thank you that I got to have this. You've changed me. And I can't I know any of this now. Um, I, I'm so I'm happier. I'm happier than I've ever been. But it's because of I went, I had to. I guess it's it's actually in a it's only in hardships actually, isn't it? Of going through some shit. If you do it right, it's a tremendous way to change some stuff about yourself. And I say this in the book, and I hope it doesn't come across like a load of wank, but it, we are hardwired to avoid any kind of pain, you know, physical or emotional. We want to look the other way when it's happening to us. But actually, when you do look towards it, you did with with uh, with your drink, and I did towards anxiety and panic attacks. When you look towards it. And you actually move towards it and wonder what's going on here um, and be a bit more inquisitive and kind to yourself. That way you can totally change your life very actually quite quickly and quite surprisingly. And even if you don't buy the book, just trying to sort of hang on to that and think about that, that can change your life. Well, honestly, um, I can't praise this book enough. I think you should go out and buy it if you're listening to this. It's, Thanks, um, Sam. I was honestly, you know how much I respect you and I've loved doing stuff with you over the years. It meant the world to me because you're, I don't know, you're, you're like a proper writer and um, this isn't my main job and I loved writing that book and I was so worried it was crap and that I'd overshared. When I saw what you said about it, it was like, oh, Oh God, I think, I, wow, it meant so much. So thank well, you for all, all your encouragement. I'm glad you got so much yeah, I just right. think, you know, honest, honesty, I think, you you know, no one can go wrong with honesty. And it took me years to notice that. And it's revolutionised my life. And I'm reading you. Yes, I've, always, like, I've, right. I've always loved your work. And I just try and read you. that. And I just Likewise. think, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, because he's just been so honest. And, and once you realise that, it's like a magic trick. <laughs> I mean, he just, it is actually. Is it, it's and not even the last two weeks. 
since having the yeah. book out and having conversations like this, some of the most interesting conversations I've had in my whole life, right? Mm. Yeah, funny, but interesting, you know. Um, it's changed my life the last two weeks, right? That w- what that book has done, because actually I've realized <laughs> you're right. You're never ever gonna go wrong being honest and speaking from the heart. There's there's no downside to that. And what a great, what a great lesson to people, and even my kids as well, you know, and people, you know, the people who do read it as well. That's the biggest thing for it for me. It isn't really about moving to Australia. It's yeah, it's the story, but in that, really, I think the people that whether or not they realise they're taken away from it. I think the reason why I'm getting these amazing emails from people every day is just that stuff actually. Um, and isn't that better than just telling them loads of funny stories why I always end up somehow mysteriously with the upper hand, which doesn't actually happen in real life, does it? You're not, you know, I ha- when stand-ups do a story, right? And then suddenly they've got a one-liner at the end of it. I went, life isn't like that. There's no. never that perfect one-liner. I know you, that you did that ending isn't true now. I don't believe the rest of it, you know? And so mm. I remember once seeing a comedian and they had this amazing story and it just fucking ended. And there was utter silence. And the comedian went, that obviously happened because I don't have a punchline. And then everyone started laughing because <laughs> that's what real life is. Yeah. And, real yeah, yeah. and I was just like, oh, my God, that again, being honest, because mm. I don't have an ending. That's what happened, you mm. know. And so it's it's really interesting. You're right. It's um, it is it's actually the lesson of it all, really, for all of us is actually when you take that leap, which feels impossible, mm. so into a canyon, isn't it? Like, oh, what are they going to think of me? They're going to hate me. Mm. What will I think of me? It's, it's, it's never not wonderful what happens when you do take that leap forward, actually. It's, it's the real pain is in the, I can't, I can't, I can't, they'll hate me. That's where the pain is. Mm. Once you said it, you're, you're honestly, you're, you'll be elated. It's always yeah. better. You're flying. And I, and I can see you are, mate. And I'm delighted for you about Thanks, the book man. and the response. I'm delighted that things have worked out so well in Australia. And, uh, yeah, Christian, thanks so much. Good luck time. with that thanks move to Putney. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep you posted. It's still a struggle, yeah. mate. Christian O'Connell there, a man who, like so many of us, had to readdress things in his 40s. Went through a lot of pain and struggle, but came out the other side happier and stronger. I hope listening to stories like Christian's encourages all of us to open our hearts and have the courage to talk about the things that give us pain or doubt or anxiety. It can be scary, but it always makes life better. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to the pod. Subscribe to The Reset if you haven't already at samdelaney.substack.com to get this podcast plus my weekly newsletter sent to your inbox every week. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.